Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Emily, and I'm so glad to be with you here today. And, you know, I just love Mr. McGew. Did anybody here grow up watching Mr. McGew? Anybody? Everybody under 30 right now is like, Mr. McGew? Like, who is this guy? So if you don't know, Mr. McGew is this rich old guy who is incredibly nearsighted, but he doesn't want to admit it. And so he ends up doing all these silly, klutzy things, and then it all just kind of miraculously works out okay in the end. And I think the reason that I love Mr. McGew so much is I can really identify with him um, because I, too, have terrible vision that just makes me do all kinds of silly, stupid things um, when I don't have my contacts in. But my vision, it's so terrible. I, I asked my eye doctor one time, so if 2020 is like perfect vision, then what is my vision? And he said, uh, Emily, your vision is like 20 over 1,000. So it's pretty bad. Um, this eye chart right here, so if this is what you can see if you have perfect vision, that's what it looks like to me, and maybe even probably a little bit worse. But the thing to me that's so cool is that I can put these little lenses in my eyes, these contacts, and it completely changes the way I see everything. So instead of you all just being this big blur, I can see the tiniest little details all over, like who's uh, scrolling on Facebook on their phone over there, or like drifting off to sleep up in the balcony. I can see it all. I can see all these tiny little details. And it's amazing to me how a little lens can change the way that I see everything. I've, uh, I've seen this in my husband's line of work also. So he makes videos for a living, and he uses lenses like this. And he's always changing in and out different lenses. And he tells me about how some lenses make the picture harsher, softer. There's lenses that focus in on one thing, and then everything else just kind of fades into the background. And it's just so amazing what a lens can do to a picture. But lenses are so powerful. And so today, I want to talk about a different kind of lens. And this is the most powerful lens that there is. And this is the lens through which you view your life. And that lens is called perspective. And so the way that we're going to look at perspective today is we're going to start in the book of Matthew. And Matthew is one of the Gospels. Uh, if you don't know what a Gospel is, it's kind of like a biography about Jesus' life in the Bible. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. And in this particular chapter, Jesus is teaching his friends, his disciples, um, how to live their life. And he shows them how to sort of flip their whole way of thinking in three different areas of their life, in a way almost to change the lens through which they view their life. So what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in on one passage right in the middle of this chapter, in verse 22, and um, you can take a look up on the screen here. And Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what is Jesus saying here when he talks about our eyes? He's not talking about our physical eyes here. He's talking about our perspective. And that if we have a healthy, light perspective, that that affects our whole being. And if we have a negative perspective, that affects our whole being as well. And so that is our big idea for today. And if you want to write this down in your program or on the app, you can. And that's if we change our perspective, then we can change your life. If you change your perspective, you can change your life. And over these past few weeks, Chris has been talking about how to stay what? 
positive. Good, you've been listening. So um, what we're going to talk about today is how to change that perspective to a positive perspective. Now, I'm going to venture a guess that among all of you here sitting in the auditorium, that some of you are unhappy with your life. Maybe you are discontented. Uh, Maybe you're lonely, frustrated, um, angry, anxious, depressed. In some way, you're unhappy with your life. And maybe you don't even think this uh, clearly. Maybe it's just in your subconscious. But there's this thing that you think, if I got that one thing, if only this one thing changed, my life would be great. Right? My problems would go away. Be happy. Life would be good. If only. If only I had a job. If only I was married. If only I had a baby. If only I was more attractive or more intelligent. If only. But here's the thing. I think for many of you, the worst thing that could happen to you is that that if only thing would happen. Because then you would realize nothing really changes. You still feel discontented. And your life isn't what you thought it would be if you had that if only. For example, how many of you here have a job? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you job. Have, keep it up. Okay. And what I want you to do is keep your hand up if that job has taken away all your problems and made your life wonderful. Well, not one person. One person. <laughs> so almost everybody said no. It just brought a new set of problems with it, right? How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Okay, now keep your hand up if your marriage has just made all your problems go away and life has been easy and perfect. See, the smart ones still have their hands up. <laughs> all right, now um, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand. And how many of you keep your hand up if your kids have taken away all your problems and made life easy and perfect? No, they multiply your problems, right? Depending on how many you have. Um, okay, how about this? Don't raise your hand for this, but some of you in here probably have a six-figure income. You probably make a decent amount of money. And I bet if I asked you, did that income that you make take away all your problems and make your life so much easier and better? You'd probably say, no, I just have more expensive problems now, Emily. It didn't take all those away, right? And it's a hard realization to have. And I had to have this difficult uh, realization um, several years ago when, uh, before I worked at the JAR, I was a teacher. I was a high school teacher in Connorsville, Indiana. And I uh, struggled with a lot of anxiety with that job. And to the point that I was having physical symptoms of migraines and stomach problems and twitch, muscle twitches and all kinds of crazy things um, because of the anxiety of this job. And in my mind, I always thought, I just need a new job. If I get a new job, everything will be fine and I'll feel so much better. So a couple years into teaching, I felt called away from that job and started looking for another teaching position and ended up actually here at the JAR as the small group director. And now I had this awesome job with amazing coworkers, and I could be with you all and teach you about Jesus, and it's such a cool thing. But guess what? Still struggled with anxiety. Yep. And so I had to come to the realization that um, it wasn't something in my life. It wasn't a job that had to change. It was me. It was about my perspective on life. So the good news is that no matter where you are in life, You don't have to get a new job or a new spouse or a new income or any of that. The only thing that you have to do to be able to change your outlook on life is to change one thing that we all have the power to change, and that's our perspective. 
And this became um, so clear to me uh, just not too long ago um, when I started out my day. And um, I, I always kind of start my day the same way with a routine in the morning with God. So I get up and I spend some time with God and I journal a little bit and just tell him um, all the things that are good and what I'm thankful for, ask him for the things that I need, and I just take a minute to kind of listen um, to anything that he would have to say to me. Um, but sometimes I have one of those days. Anybody else ever have one of those days that's just not a good day? And uh, this was one of those days where um, I did not have any time in the morning with God because my kids kept me up all night, and I was exhausted. And then all day long, things just kept going wrong and going wrong. and just snowballed to the end of the day, and by the end of the day, I crawl into bed. I'm angry, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, and I'm just done by the end of the day. And days like that don't have my morning routine with God like normal. But days like that, I just, I'm just real with God. And I just put it all out there, and I vent everything that's going on. And so that's what I did. I got into my bed, and I said, God, this has been a horrible day. And let me tell you why this has been a horrible day. My kids did not sleep, and I got in a fight with my husband, and our finances are not looking good, and I'm stressed out about this thing at work. And I just went on and on. I just listed all these things that made this day just a terrible, terrible day. So I got all this off my chest, vented it all out, and just sat there kind of quietly. And then this is the little prompting that I heard in my heart from God. All right, so that's what went bad today. What went well today? And I thought, huh. Well, um, my daughter didn't wet the bed. That was good. And uh, my house is pretty much clean. And um, my husband's been a huge help at work with this project that I had. And I just kept listing these things that went well. And then I started thinking about the big things like, man, my kids are healthy. We have food in our fridge and we have a warm house to live in. And on top of all that, I have a God who loves me enough to give his life for me. And I thought, this wasn't a bad day at all. This is a great day. In fact, there's people that would probably give everything to have one day just like the day that I had today. And pretty soon, all those problems sort of faded away, and I began to feel grateful. And then I started to feel joy. Nothing changed about my day. The only thing that changed was my perspective. And so what I want to encourage you to do today is to change the lens of your life, to change your perspective. And so we're going to look back at this chapter 6 in Matthew and look at three different lenses that Jesus teaches his disciples to flip in their life. And we're going to start off right at the beginning in verse 1. And he says this to his disciples. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So these hypocrites that he's talking about, they were the religious leaders of the day, the priests, the pastors, like that, people um, who are up on a stage like me, and they, but they wanted to be seen, right? They wanted people to notice them, so they did their good deeds very loudly and very publicly. And so Jesus goes on to talk about the way that these religious leaders um, pray. And he said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And then he goes on to talk about the way these hypocrites um, fasted. And he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. 
So what's the common denominator in all three of these situations? Well, these religious leaders want to be seen. It's all about them. And so this first lens that Jesus is telling his disciples to change today is from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And that's uh, your next fill-in there if you want to write that down. He asked them to change their lens from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. So we live in a culture where everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be noticed. They want their 15 minutes of fame. We want to get all the likes on Facebook. We want all the Instagram followers. We want to be seen. And I think everybody struggles with this for some degree. Take me, for example. So um, here I am teaching you about being God-centered instead of self-centered. And do you want to take a guess at what I was thinking about when I was getting ready for this teaching? Man, I hope they're going to like me. I really hope that this teaching goes well and it's not terrible and they never ask me to teach again. I really hope I don't, like, fall flat on my face and then you all laugh at me. Right? I was making it all about me. Right? But it's not about me. It's about you and God and your relationship with him. Anybody could come up here and stand here and say the exact same words I'm saying and have the same effect. But we want to be seen. We want to be noticed. Now, I think maybe it's not just me um, that has these times where we want to be seen. So think for a minute and if you've ever had a conversation kind of like this in your head. So let's say you walk into church and in your mind you think, well, I was going to get some coffee, but look how long that line is right now. If people would just hurry up and get their cream and get their sugar and move along and stop talking, we could all get our coffee. But you know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to get my coffee today. I'm just going to walk into the auditorium. And then you get there and you say, Really? Some new person is sitting there in my seat. Everybody knows I sit in the front row, right in, or right in the fifth row, right in the middle. And some new person walks in like they own the place and sits right there. And now I'm going to have to sit in the sixth row, I guess, because somebody's in my seat. And then you sit down, start listening to the teaching. You're taking some notes and you're thinking, man, I'm taking some really good notes here. Like I'm adding my own little scripture and underline. Maybe I'll just... Move this over so that person behind me can see, like, how spiritual I am right now. You know, some of you are, like, putting your pens away because you're doing that right now, right? So, yeah, we want to be seen. Now, some of you are the opposite. You still ask that question, do they see me? But it's because you don't want to be seen, right? So maybe you say, do, you, do they see me? Do they see this depression that's in my eyes? when I walked in today? Do they see that my hands are shaking from anxiety? Do they see the scars that are on my hands? Do they see that I'm pregnant and that there's not a ring on my finger? Do they see me? And you don't want to be seen, but you're still thinking about you and you're asking that question, do they see me? And so what Jesus is teaching his disciples and us today is to turn that self-centered perspective into a God-centered perspective and change this lens in our life. So how do we do that? How do we change our lens from being self-centered to God-centered? Well, I think one way that we can do that is to ask a simple question every day, wherever we go. So, so often when we uh, go through life and we're being self-centered, we ask the question, do they see me? But Jesus is challenging us to ask this question, Do they see God in me? And if you want, that's your next fill-in. If you want to write that down. Do they see God? 
in me? Do they see his love flowing through me? Do they see his kindness and his gentleness? Do they see his servant heart? Do they see God in me? And when we ask that question, it takes the focus off of us and it puts it onto God. And it lifts, at the same time, it lifts this weight off of our shoulders that we don't have to worry about if they see us or if they don't see us. We want people to see God in us. So a great example that I've witnessed of this is my husband, Mikey. Um, I think we have a picture of him right there. And Mikey is a hard person to miss um, because he is four foot nine inches tall, not even five foot tall. And everybody sees Mikey and everybody remembers Mikey. I remember one time we were in Chicago, of all places, and somebody goes, hey, Mikey. And he's like, hi. And I said, who is that guy? I don't know. <laughs> but everybody always remembers Mikey because of his unique stature. And um, not you know, to be rude or anything, but sometimes people will stare at him out of curiosity, and a lot of times kids will stare, and they'll make comments and things like that. And um, I remember very early on in our relationship, I asked Mikey, you know, some people, if they were short like you are, they would be kind of bitter about it, maybe bitter towards God or embarrassed about the way they look and people staring at them. And I said, how do you keep such a good perspective on this? And he said, well, you know, Emily... I could be, you know, bitter and embarrassed about it, and sometimes I am, he said. But the way I like to think about it is this, that, you know, everybody notices me, everybody remembers me. And they could remember me as the short guy with the beard. Or, he said, they could remember me as the guy who took the time to notice them and to listen to their story and to show them God's love. And I thought, wow. That's such a cool perspective, you know, to ask that question. Instead of, do they see me? Do they see God in me? And so what I want to encourage you to do today is everywhere you go, when you walk into church, into work, into school, into the mall, wherever you are, is to ask that question, do they see God in me? And bring the focus from yourself and on to God. All right, so that first lens that Jesus teaches us to change is from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. The next lens that he uh, challenges his disciples to change, we can find in verse 24 in the same chapter. And he says this to his disciples, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a pretty strong statement, right? You can't serve both God and money. And you might be thinking, I don't serve money. Money's not my master. I don't take a 20 out of my pocket and say, oh, my master, what do you want me to do today? I'm not, I don't serve money. I'm not a slave to my money. But let me give you just an idea of what money being your master looks like. All right? So money is our master when we find our security in it. Money is our master when we feel successful because we have a lot of it. We serve money when we think we're going to be happy if we have more of it. We serve money when we fight with our spouse about it. Right? Money is our master when we get angry, when we lose it, or do questionable things to get it. So I don't know about you, but many times money is my master. But Jesus says don't allow money to be your master. Don't build up wealth here on earth. Build up wealth in heaven. So how do we do that? How do we build up wealth in heaven? Well, basically the opposite way of how we build wealth on earth, by giving, by being generous, and by trusting God with our money. And so this next lens that Jesus is teaching his disciples to change is from greed to generosity. From greed to generosity. 
Because greed says, I need this money. I need this stuff. I have to hold tight to it. But generosity says, I trust God with it. And I find freedom when I give that away. So personally for me, um, money becomes my master when I look at my bank account and things don't just add up. Because I am a budgeter. I, this might sound weird, but I love budgeting. It's so fun for me. I'll do anybody's budget if you want me to. I love, like, adding up all the numbers and things all work out. But there, inevitably there comes times when um, we have an unexpected expense and the numbers don't add up and there's just not enough. And those are the times when money becomes my master and I hold tight to what I have. And it's always right around that time that God brings somebody across my path with a need. And I'm ashamed to admit that more often than not, I get scared, and I see that the the numbers don't add up, and I ignore God's prompting to give, and I choose greed over generosity. I experienced this um, not that long ago when I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, We were just standing outside of her house talking, and I was asking, you know, how you doing? And she said, doing all right, but, you know, I've been sleeping on the floor. And I said, what? Yeah, she said, for three months. I've been sleeping on the floor, just on a blanket, on the hard floor. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me you were sleeping on the floor for three months? And so I I left her house and drove home. And on my way home, I was thinking, you know what? I don't think I can sleep tonight knowing that she is not going to sleep tonight because she's going to be laying on the floor. And so I thought, well, maybe I could buy her like a really nice air bed um, just so she has something to be able to sleep on. And as soon as that thought came in my mind, I said, mm-hmm. Uh-uh. started thinking about the budget, and I was like, hey, Christmas is coming. I have Christmas presents to buy. My kids need Christmas presents, and I have gas that needs to go in the car. We have Christmas dinner we have to purchase, and we just don't have it. We just don't have the money to be able to do that. And so I just pushed that thought aside, and I kept driving. And most of the time, it just ends right there. But thankfully, God wouldn't let me stop there, and he put this little verse in my mind that I had read just a couple weeks earlier, and it says this. Proverbs 19:17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. And I thought about that verse, and I thought, okay, God, I'm not giving this to her. I'm giving this to you. And I know you're good for it. I mean, you've provided for me so many times. I know that you will repay me. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to... I'm going to go, and I picked out this uh, mattress that was more than I wanted to spend, but I went ahead, and I got it, and I took it to my friend. And the look on her face and the generosity and gratefulness um, that she had towards me, it was worth anything. I don't care how much I paid for that bed. It was worth it to see that and to see her prayer being answered in a way. But even beyond that, Right after that happened, a person in our small group found out about the situation and said, hey, I want to pay for half of that airbed. I want to help you out with this. And then a week later, right after I had bought this airbed, we got a check in the mail. And Mikey and I had been expecting a check um, from our uh, medical co-op thing, a reimbursement check. And I thought, you know, maybe it would cover the rest of the airbed, maybe a little bit more. So I get this check in the mail. I open it up. And it is 20 times the amount of the airbed. And I did the math. I'm like, that's 2,000% interest. Like, God, when you say you would pay us, you weren't kidding. And it was just a reminder that when we listen to his promptings and we choose generosity over greed, that God takes care of our needs. Now, I'm not saying every time you give, you're going to get a check in the mail that's 20 times whatever you gave away. All right? But I will say this. God will repay you. 
It might be he repays you by the look on someone's face when you give to them and the, and the freedom that you feel to be able to just trust God with your money um, and being the answer to somebody's prayer. I know that he'll repay you in, in heaven, in eternity. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but he's going to repay us for every single thing that we give. So it may not be just like it was for me, but I know that God will repay you. And I'm also not saying that you need to meet every single need that comes across your path. There's some needs that, that, you know, God isn't asking you to meet, and that's okay. But if God does say, hey, listen, I want you to give to this person. I want you to tithe to your church. I want you to support this ministry. And he's calling you to do that. Just do it and trust him and know that he will repay you in the way that you need. So if you're like me and you struggle with money being your master, then I want to share something that has been a huge help to me and my family, um, and that's something called Financial Peace University. And this is a class I took with my husband a few years ago in a time where um, we really needed a plan for our money and a time where we, things were tight and we didn't think there's any way we could be generous. Um, but it helped us to see that we could. And we found so much freedom in just being able to go through this and have a plan for our money. And um, Shane Brooks is in the back corner back there, and he's the one that leads this. It's starting next week, and he would love to help you get connected with that and find that same kind of freedom that we were able to have. It's been just such an amazing thing for us, so I encourage you to talk to him today. So when we're changing this lens in our life from greed to generosity, how do we do that day in and day out? How do we choose generosity over greed? Well, again, I think it comes down to asking a question um, every day. And that was, when I give, maybe too when you give, we always ask this question of, well, what will I lose? What am I not going to be able to buy for myself or for my family if I give? What will I lose? But Jesus is teaching us instead to ask the question, what will I gain? Right? What kind of freedom am I going to gain? What heavenly reward am I going to gain? How is God going to repay me in awesome ways? And so I want to challenge you, every time you feel that prompting to give, is to ask that question, not what will I lose, but what will I gain? So I said there were three lenses that Jesus teaches to his disciples. From, um, he teaches us to change from self-centeredness to God-centeredness and from greed to generosity. And then he wraps up this teaching with a third change of perspective. And this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Um, It starts in verse 25, and it says this. Jesus says to his disciples, That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So let's go back to verse 25. And there's this phrase there that says, I tell you not to what? Not to worry. Simple little phrase. If you're anything like me, really hard to do. I mentioned earlier I struggle with anxiety. And so worrying is part of my daily routine. Heck, it's part of my hourly routine. I worry about everything, every day, all the time. And the root of that worry is fear. Fear of the future. Fear of failure, fear of something's going to happen to my family, fear of poverty, fear. And the dangerous thing about fear and about worry is that they hold us back from doing the things that God is asking us to do. 
So when I am in fear and I'm in worry, there's this game that I play in my head, and it's not a very fun game. Um, And I call it worst-case scenario. And I bet some of you have probably played the same game, too. And let me just give you an example of what this looks like in my head, worst-case scenario. So maybe God, um, I feel him calling me um, to go to my neighbor's house and mow their lawn, right? Just to show them, you know, God's love in a simple way, random act of kindness. And so um, this is the conversation that goes on through my head. This is the game that I play. All right, so let's say I go and I mow my neighbor's lawn, but what if I don't do it exactly how they want me to do it, and then they get really angry and they come outside and start yelling at me and screaming profanities at me, and then they call the police and I get arrested for trespassing, and then I'm in jail, and then I miss work, and then I lose my job, and then I don't have any money, and then I end up out on the street, and then my kids are out on the street. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to go mow my neighbor's lawn. My kids are going to be on the street. God, like, that is a terrible idea, and that is exactly what's going to happen. So I'm definitely not going to do that. And I play this worst-case scenario game, and, and Jesus says, but don't worry about those things. Listen to me, obey me, trust me, and I'll take care of everything else. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to change your lens of your life. I want you to change that lens from fear to faith. And that's your next fill-in if you want to write that down, from fear to faith. So about a year ago, God challenged me to change my lens from fear to faith. So at the time, I was pregnant, and I was part of this prenatal care group with some other pregnant women. And um, there, I really wanted to go into it kind of just thinking about how can I show God's love to these other ladies. And so I started praying for the ladies in the group regularly. And there's one particular lady named Tianta um, who was also pregnant. And I noticed that she was coming in late to this group. And um, I found out it was because she um, had to take the bus, and that's just the time that the bus got there. So I felt prompted to ask if I could give her a ride. And so I got her a number and texted her and said, hey, can I give you a ride? And she said, that'd be great. And so we kind of rode together to this group uh, several times, got to know each other. And all of this was right around Easter time. And so Pastor Chris had asked us, who's the person that you're going to invite to church for Easter who's not connected with God and his church? And Tianta was that person that popped into my mind. And so I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm giving her a ride tomorrow. I'm going to invite her to church. But then I started playing worst-case scenario game in my mind. And I thought, all right, so let's say I invite her to church. But then what if she gets, like, really, like, mad and, like, hateful? And she's like, I hate God and I hate church. And I can't believe you would even ask me to come to church. And she opens up the car door and rolls out. And then she gets hit by a car. And she's permanently injured for the rest of her life. And her life is completely ruined. And I said, that is what's going to happen, God. And I could not do that to this poor woman. I am not going to invite her to church. I'm not going to ruin her life by doing that. And I played this worst-case scenario game. And so I told God all this and why I wasn't going to invite her to church. And then in the quiet, there was this little voice of God. And he said to me, okay, that's the worst that could happen. I feel like he was almost smirking at me. I would think that. But he said, Emily, what's the best that could happen? And I thought, huh. I guess the best that could happen would be that she would say yes. And she would actually come to church on Easter and uh, accept Christ into her life. 
And um, her family would come and her friends would come and, and she'd be baptized and, and her life, the whole direction of her life would change. And then I thought, you know what, That's wor- it's worth it. It's worth the risk. And you know that best case scenario that I just painted? That is exactly what happened. She said yes. She came to church. She gave her life to Jesus that day. Her her kids started coming to church with her. Her friend came to church. She got baptized. Her friends got baptized. She was in a she's in a small group, and the whole direction of her life is changing. Not because of anything I did. I was going to chicken out, right? But because God prompted me to change my lens from fear to faith, and to trust me, or trust Him that things were going to work out. Now, does it always work out like that in my best case scenario? No. But I can tell you this, it's never been my worst case scenario, ever. And there's been many times when what happens is even better than my best case scenario. There's a guy who, um, named Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And um, he said this, God, um, Glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. With God behind us, the even better things than our best case scenario can happen if we choose faith over fear and we trust him. So maybe God is nudging you to do something. Maybe he's nudging you to invite a coworker to church. Uh, maybe he's nudging you to try a small group or celebrate recovery. Uh, maybe you've been feeling him nudging you to give or to serve or to take a new job or do foster care or go on a mission trip or whatever it might be. You might have been feeling this nudging. And I want to encourage you today, instead of asking, what's the worst that can happen? Playing that worst case scenario in your mind to ask the question, what's the best thing that could happen? And I think you'll find that whatever it is, it is more than worth it. So what I'd like you to do now is you all have a card in your program, and it looks like a lens. And on one side at the top it says broken lens. And on this side of the card are those lenses that Jesus was talking about, those broken lenses of self-centeredness and greed and fear and those questions that we ask, do they see me? What will I lose? What's the worst thing that could happen? And what I want you to do is take that card and flip it over. And on the other side is a corrected lens. And it has those lenses of God-centeredness and generosity and faith and those questions that we can ask that can change that lens in our life. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask Caleb and Sierra to play a song. And I'm going to give you just a minute, just you and God, to be quiet and to listen and think about which one of these three lenses does God want to change in my life. Don't try to do all three. Just pick one that he is calling you to do and start asking that question every day, everywhere that you go. So I'm going to pray with you right now. And after I do that, you can take a minute as Caleb plays to think through which of those lenses God is calling you to do. Please pray with me. God, right now, your children are coming to you asking for you to change their eyes, to change their perspective. I pray that you would give them eyes that are full of light and faith and generosity and that are focused on you. Give them a new perspective on life. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their eyes and as soon as they open them, that things would be different 
that they would see their world in a new way. Thank you so much for doing this. Amen. at all because I knew that he could see perfectly fine 
And I knew that I could trust him. And he wasn't going to let anything happen to me. And I think that it's the same way for us sometimes. Is that we look at our life, we look at our world, and everything is blurry and confusing. And it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like how, how Paul, who I talked about earlier, he wrote in 1 Corinthians, he explains it this way. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I am known. And so when we look through this earthly lens, this earthly picture, sometimes things look fuzzy and messy, just like this right here. Right? And it's sometimes life is disappointing, and it hurts, and it just doesn't make any sense. And so often, when life looks this way, we think either two things. Well, either God doesn't exist, or my life wouldn't look like this. Or he does exist, but he doesn't care anything about me. He just wants to make my life miserable. He's punishing me. But I think that maybe there's another option. And that is that God sees through a different lens. He sees through a clearer, more eternal lens. He sees through the big picture. And it's bright, and it's beautiful, and it's clear, and it's eternal. And what we can do is we can choose to say, you know what, God? I don't get it. My life right now, it doesn't make sense. It's ugly. It's messy. It's painful. But I trust you. And just like I put my hand into Mikey's hand and I let him lead me around, we say, God, I'm going to put my hand in your hand. And I'm going to trust you because I know that you see what I don't see. I know that you see through an eternal lens. And it is clear and it is beautiful and it is perfect. And so I put my hand in yours and I'm going to let you lead me and I'm going to trust you. And so today, if you feel that way and you're ready to say, God, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense, but I trust you. I'm going to put my hand in your hand. Then I'm going to lead you through a prayer today. And I just want you to repeat it after me and mean it in your heart. And I'd like everybody to pray this prayer with me at the same time. Because here at the jar, we're a family. We don't pray, pray alone. We pray together. So if you would, please pray this prayer after me today. Jesus, I trust you with my life today. I want to put my hand in yours and let you lead me. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your help. I need you in my life. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Fill me with your Spirit so I can know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.